ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from Heal Well. Massage therapists and body workers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses, online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Werner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Welcome to season 10 of Interdisciplinary, where Corey doesn't have comprehensive notes today. So here we go on the roller coaster. Today we are discussing the regulation of practice and education for massage around the world, although today we are sticking to the US. Um, you have heard us talk to people in Australia. That was a two parter. If you've missed it, you should go back. It was amazing. Um, we have many fun guests coming up and today's fun guest will remain a surprise until Cal Cates gives us a pun because sometimes I forget to hand off the baton but not today. It happens everybody wants to do the pun um but today I'm gonna pun it up you know my my dog accidentally swallowed a whole bag of scrabble tiles we took him to the vet no word yet <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one. That's fair. I think that's, it was a lot that's of appropriate. In, intestinal and Scrabble combined. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, well, I think, I think Scrabble is pretty gut wrenching for a lot of people. So, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> that's fair. Right. Um, oh, and I don't know if you mentioned this, Corey, but um, just a reminder, um, if you're not already a secret squirrel Patreon and, uh, and you just love the show and want it to keep happening, join us for a dollar a month and like, you'll get a cool sticker and other stuff and It'll be amazing. So get in there and Patreon it up at, oh, go to the podcast website and you'll see a little Patreon link. Um, it should also be in the show notes if you just want to scroll down. See? Much faster. So many options. And as long as we're pitching things, don't forget, we have a wonderful symposium at the end of the month within reach, February 25th and 26th. It's going to be a good time, y'all. Oh my gosh. Massage therapy organizations from around the world have coughed up the dough to make sure that massage therapists can be at this thing. So I think it's going to be pretty awesome. And like it's 150 bucks for 11 CEs and you get to hang out with us and we get to hang out with you. So be there. And part of my costume came in the mail yesterday. So Boom. be there to see that. See, Corey and I are going to bicker about whether or not massage is a service or a profession. And that's going to be amazing. And so many other cool things. Well, we're going to bicker about service or healthcare. Service but or healthcare. It is a profession. It's a lot of things, really. And here today to talk about the lot of things and the practice of education around the world is our lovely guest, Deborah Persinger. Tell us everything about you, Deborah. Why? What have you done in massage therapy? What are you doing now? Who are you? Yeah, that's such a loaded question. Everything about <laughs> me, I, I, I think not. I think not. It's probably good. Um, so, you know, regarding my, uh, my professional relationship with the massage therapy uh, profession, I, I'm in that camp, I vote for profession, not occupation. Um, I've been with the Federation of State Massage Therapy Boards um, 
for some time now, almost since their inception in 2006. Um, and I serve as the executive director. So our members are the state regulatory boards and agencies that uh, regulate massage therapy in the United States and territories. That's a lot because, that's, um, yeah. That's a lot, but that's the abridged version. <laughs> Well, and so we're going to, we're going to invite you to unabridge it and, and sort of like, I mean, so many questions. So you said since the inception in 2006, so yes. what, what idea, what concern, what gave birth to the FSMTB? Uh, you know, there were myriad reasons, uh, primarily instigated by the lack of licensing mobility or portability for the individual therapist. Um, and so the state licensing boards wanted some measure of control and uniformity so that when, an, when a therapist moved across a state line, they weren't having to go through another set of, I'll use a term, you know, hoops, sometimes seemed like hoops of fire um, <laughs> to be able to practice in a new state. And so the state licensing board, regulatory boards got together and said, you know, one way we can do this is by having a national licensing exam. And so that was, um, and still is really the flagship program or service offering that the Federation develops and administers the national licensing exam on behalf of the state licensing boards and the regulatory community. Um, and we're still working towards getting that uniformity um, and standardization for the profession. Um, so we also have continuing education where we've developed standards um, and now we're tackling the, the biggest, you know, hurdle of a patchwork across the nation, which is massage therapy education and the variety of, uh, that's a diplomatic term, variety of standards across the nation. So multiple components, but all trying to come together to, you know, while still maintaining the mission of public protection, really helping the therapist get, get some uniformity and, and the consuming public having a, you know, standardized expectations for their care. Do you notice a, um, I feel like when we get into talking about anything that's sort of a state-based decision, um, yes. that it, it can become, it can become political. And so like, do you notice a sort of red blue pattern um, that follows the sort of larger national politics in terms of openness to massage or desire to regulate and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing? It's not so much um, about the actual practice of massage or the massage therapists themselves. It's really more on a, a, you know, I guess a higher superficial level of deregulation, like regulation versus not regulation. They're not, you know, specifically focusing on only massage um, or reduced standards, um, reducing what, what can be perceived as barriers to entry into the profession and trying to find that balance, um, which, which I believe licensing offers the least amount of regulation that affords the, the most amount of public protection. So, but that, that's really where the, you know, partisan politics come in, I would say. Yeah. And do you, so when we talk about public safety, yeah. Um, you know, that, that becomes a, a bit of a polarizing question in massage therapy all by itself, because like, what is safety? What is harm? How do we define these things? So, and I know it, it, it puts FSMTB in a place where like, we, we only go this far because we're not necessarily about sort of broadly advancing 
practice as much as making sure that nobody is practicing without the baseline of skill that allows them to practice in a, in a way that won't harm. So how, how does that figure in with like, does FSMTB get involved with education and which education and like, talk to us about that, that sort of how you inter interact in the profession and with other organizations in the profession around education. Yeah, so that there is a definitely a juncture where we intersect with the educational community um, in terms of being able to practice safely and competently. You know, one needs, like you said, fundamental or baseline knowledge and skills. And so we assess for those baseline knowledge and skills um, every approximately five years. We, we analyze the tasks of the job, if you will. So it's called a job task analysis. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and we ask the profession, we, you know, we don't create a committee from upon high that makes pronouncements. We actually ask the profession, uh, the most recent one last year uh, that we did, we had over 5,000 responses. So that's great. We love it when government says, please tell us, help us help you and the profession respond. So thank you, massage and bodywork professionals. Um, so that gives us the baseline competencies, tasks performed, the importance of the tasks, and then how frequently uh, a therapist would perform those tasks. That, that helps us set the content of the actual examination or the assessment tool. So in order to be eligible to take the licensing examination, we require massage therapy education. Um, and that's where we really intersect with the educational community. Right now, the, we're, we're trying to move towards requiring an accredited education because there's again, such a patchwork, not only of content in massage therapy education, but also quality and quantity. <laughs> Um, for example, in the regulatory world, we we have you know some states with a 500-hour minimum education requirement, all the way up to a 1,000-hour minimum requirement, with no real, I say, no real rhyme or reason. Um, so we're trying to standardize that so that a therapist who's been practicing just fine, thank you, for you know years, now moves to one of those thousand hour states and has to go back to school. And it, it just, it's, um, it's restrictive. And so we're trying to you know, work on addressing that. Um, tell me if I'm talking too much, but the, the ELAP, which is an acronym, Entry Level Analysis Project, the Federation was instrumental um, in supporting that ELAP study because we, we wanted some eligibility standards to be able to take the licensing exam, but we did not want arbitrary, you know, numbers that people made up or, you know, we have no business declaring what content would be required. And so we looked at, and with, with the other national massage therapy organizations, what really constitutes a, you know, a fundamental, a core, quality massage therapy education. So ELAP blueprint came out and that identified the content as well as a minimum of uh, 625 hours of education. So that's where we're, you know, moving towards. Um, we're, we, we've just launched a, or we were um, instrumental in launching a new massage therapy, interstate massage compact 
to help with the mobility issue. And one of the requirements for a massage therapist to be eligible for the multi-state license is to have the minimum 625 hours of education. So I know I'm zigzagging all over the place, but there's so many avenues that we intersect and that we're trying to influence in a positive way without the unnecessary burdens. Because one of the goals in our mission of the Federation is to simplify and standardize the licensing process. So, and that still is a work in progress. <laughs> For sure. Well, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, this was founded in 2006 with one of the ultimate goals being this portability across states. And here we are in 2023. Yes. And it's a version of it that holds promise is moving forward. So it just yes. kind of, I think you're, you're very organic zigzag describing what, what you do and what FSMTB does and the timeline of like this particular measurable outcome just illustrates so clearly why this is an ongoing debate yes. and morass, if you will. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good descriptor. <laughs> Um, so I, I like the, I certainly like the idea of like not coming down from on high and saying, this is what we've decided. And one of the questions that I often have is when you ask massage therapists, what they should know, I don't know if they know what they should know. And so like, I remember when ELAP happened and, you know, one of the, one of the questions was about sort of in order of like importance in the body systems how should we focus curriculum and where should we spend the most time? And, and a majority of massage therapists put the nervous system way at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh man, like that's probably should be at the very top. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we said, Oh, well, massage therapists said they don't need this. And so how, like, what's the intersection between, okay, like I see you telling me, like, even with the job task analysis, this is what you think your job is, but what should your job really be? And like, is there any sort of like, I mean, I, I, the word that's coming to mind, unfortunately, is paternalistic, but sort of like a, okay, I'm glad you think that's what you do, but here's what, here's what we should be aiming for. And like, how do we, is there any conversation about like, so this is what massage therapists are saying. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing some problems here. How do we design regulation and education to sort of lead the profession where it could go? So I know, so I, I just wanted to give praise to the actual profession, to the professionals. So this is not something where, you know, elected leaders or people on state boards decide, well, they should know this and, you know, we're tagged and we're it and we know better. The profession comes through every time. And so, for example, when we break down the, the tasks, or activities that a massage therapist performs, the top 10 tasks out of over 100, 150 or so, the top 10 come out to be that they think are most important for public protection are things like confidentiality, you know, draping, um, the, the uh, boundaries. So they're all, um, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but they're all things as a regulator if they could have dreamed a better top 10 answer, they couldn't have done better themselves. So it's actually the profession validating these things are really crucial 
to be able to enter into our profession. And of course, you know, definitely the nervous systems in there and the, you know, muscles and you have to know, you know, I'll say the thigh bones connected to the knee bone. I'm not mm-hmm. a massage therapist. I do not have that gift. So I don't mean to downplay, but of course they need to know their anatomy and pathology contraindications. But um, the what some people refer to as soft skills end up being the most crucial and vital to the practice in terms of public protection. And I, I will say, we don't view public protection purely as the consuming public. For us, massage therapists, the licensed or regulated therapists are members of the public too. Because in the world, not just unique to this profession, there are unscrupulous people who exploit the professional, you know, the physicality of the situation, which is a, I'll say he said, she said, but essentially two people in the room with no other third party to validate or serve as a witness. And so they will falsely accuse massage therapists of, you know, deeds that they may or may not have committed. And so because of due process that the government, you know, situation provides, those therapists get, you know, investigations and due process um, as well. And so we're also protecting therapists, not not just the consuming public on your massage table. Corey, your face has a question. (laughs) Thinking of how to (laughs) so word my question. I can give you another example of where we, you know, see protecting therapists, and that's in the continuing education world, where, you know, people were coming before the state boards and saying, I I paid, you know, $800 for an eight-hour workshop last Saturday, and the instructor said, okay, you can just go home at noon. Well, or, or they, you know, there's a dental hygienist teaching a cadaver lab, or, you know, somebody essentially unqualified, and so... Um, That's where the Federation came in at the request of our members to develop standards for the continuing education, continuing professional education, so that we have a CE registry now for people that do meet five, again, very basic standards, I think, of um, for determining or assuring quality. Um, and, And, you know, it really what state regulation does, it allows consumer recourse. There's some place to go and have an ally or an advocate or somebody to hear your story and either validate it or or not. Um, But that's another example of where we're, you know, protecting the professionals as part of our public protection role. In addition Mm -hmm. to the uh, those receiving massage therapy services. I got my question. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, So. I think that the Federation operates um, in a similar way to Healwell as we see a lot of fires and we would like to address them, Um, but there are multiple and sometimes they light new fires. Mm -hmm. Um, So how would you say that the Federation prioritizes where, like, where are you aiming that fire hose? Because you guys have grown so much since you started. So how do you choose where do you put your resources um, and uh, <laughs> how do you decide whether that was worth it or not? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, we do follow, a, organizationally, we follow a strategic plan. I, I love 
strategy and goals. And I also love change. So, you know, we can we can uh, navigate and re-navigate and course correct along the way. Um, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to serve our member boards, our state regulatory boards. So that's always, we're very, um, you know, mission driven, if you will, in that regard. And the needs of the member boards have been changing. The, the recent, you know, the global pandemic made a big, <laughs> a big shift for us. Um, so it, we're we're all everything that we do is permeated by the federation's values. We have four core ones, which I know that's not the topic of this of this conversation. Oh, yes, it is. But, okay, <laughs> so we have accountability. We're we're accountable. We understand that if we create one policy, that could have a ripple effect to three hundred thousand massage therapists or the next batch of twenty five thousand therapists trying to come into the profession. So accountability, obviously, to state government. Um, transparency is important to us. You know, if if we make a mistake, we'll we'll say so and we'll you know do what we need to do to remedy it. Um, the um, integrity, of course, permeates everything. We, we represent or we work for a state government and, and they're accountable to the people, if you will, um, you know, the citizenry in their respective states. And our fourth value, and these are in no particular order other than um, numerical, is that we value people. And so everything we do even the candidates coming through to take the exam to apply for the exam they're, they're not just candidate id numbers to us you know we know there are students who are working two jobs and trying to find childcare and trying to enter this amazing profession and heal the world 60 minutes at a time and you know they have big audacious goals and we're you know, I, I talk with our staff, we're like the little red bulb on the Christmas tree. Like if we're not working, then all the rest, all you therapists can't light up and glow as bright as you otherwise could. So we're kind of a behind the scenes entity, um, but, you know, we're cheering and, and trying to be a champion for good and, you know, do what we can in our little corner of the universe to improve the human condition. And and our our assignment is to improve the life of massage therapists so you all can go go forth and and you know use your gifts well and we know that the, the public has a greater opportunity to have a positive and more profound experience with a qualified therapist and if they don't then we're here you know the state boards are are here for them either way right you should have like music and bands cheering <laughs> well it's interesting yes, <laughs> well it's interesting because i feel like you know when when we have the opportunity to talk with leaders in the field and people who are you know in positions like yours where like potentially shaping what happens like if if i'm i'm just gonna bring the room down like if i'm listening and i don't i've never seen under the tent i'm like that's amazing but uh -huh. i've seen under the tent yeah. And it's real ugly in there. And so like, you know, I think about, it hadn't occurred to me that the public safety thing also includes therapists. And so now I'm thinking yeah. about, so do you all get involved with like crappy conditions at franchises where therapists are underpaid or, you know, being expected to see too many clients in a day or like, is there like, who would intervene there 
if it's not you guys? Yeah, no, it would not be us. Um, that would be the professional membership associations. So that would be the two main ones in our profession are ABMP and AMTA. Um, so that their job is to, you know, represent and look out for the best interests of the professionals. We are a, a public protection, you know, government regulation aspect, which, you know, sometimes the two overlap, but sometimes yeah. we don't agree, you know? I mean, this, this is a, I'll use an extreme example and it's not even a real one, but to illustrate my point, you know, a professional um, or, you know, a group of people might say, uh, we don't want to change our linens. We, we, you know, laundry is too expensive for massage therapists. We need to cut corners. Well, that's nice that the profession thinks that, but as regulators, we're saying, no, you know, not going to fly sanitation, yeah. you need to buy your disinfectant. We're not, mm -hmm. that's not okay. okay. There will be places where we will not be aligned. Um, but that's, you know, as expected, we have different missions and goals. So. Mm -hmm. That question about sheets, which I wish I thought that was always not true, but I'm not sure that I do. Um, uh -huh. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, cute how you think it's an extreme I know, example. I, you were like, it's an extreme example. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess my, my question is, does the Federation step in in that occasion because the profession has already through surveys and job task analysis required that that is part of the profession or does the Federation have a separate standard that's like hygiene is part of everything and it's just part of everything like mm -hmm. who made the first step in that dance I guess well we asked the question with you know intellectual honesty and the profession gave the answer and and you know the profession if you know you, the the society it's like the the voter <laughs> needs a lot more credit than they the media maybe sometimes gives them so the profession you know stands up and says no you know sanitation is really important it's in the top 10 things for us so it's actually the profession that decides that we happen to agree with them but we do um, deploy a cadre of subject matter experts to validate that and say, well, yeah, that's reasonable or that's unreasonable. Let's look at, oh, it was students that said that it wasn't actual professionals or, you know, something like that. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. but Sometimes my questions have no answers and that's okay. No, <laughs> many things to ponder. Well, that's, I was going to say how many of these questions in general have no like satisfying yeah. answer, uh, if any answer at all. Um, one of the things we really try to do is to, is to um, stick with the honesty piece and like be clear about information. And there's, there's sort of a um, Fear mongering is too big, but like, how big is the quote unquote push for deregulation? Like, are there lots of states looking to deregulate massage? Is it like two or three? You know, what and what can we be doing as, I mean, I don't see deregulation as supporting ongoing professionalism and even cleanliness if we want to go there. <laughs> but is it, you know, should we really be concerned in every state like this is where massage is headed or is it really sort of pockets? Um, I would say pockets and it's sporadic pockets. You know, somebody gets a harebrained idea or there's some legislative conference. Um, sometimes massage gets caught up in other unrelated entities. So, for example, there was a state recently 
um, that decided that they were trying to help small businesses. And so including school owners that massage was included with, but we were also lumped in with um, small businesses for schools for massage therapists, bartenders, and dog groomers. So, you know, <laughs> while I understand the intention of helping, you know, Main Street, small town America, whatever the vernacular is for that, it, it, you know, it was a good idea gone completely awry. So, um, so there are little things like that to, to answer your question, Cal, but it's not like a tsunami, big tidal wave of deregulation. But, you know, understandably, we want to get, politicians want to get people into the workforce. We want to get qualified people into the workforce. Qualified massage therapists is our, yeah. you know, line. So, uh, but, you know, it doesn't go away. It, I mean, massage, people people don't understand fully the, the burden of responsibility that a licensed massage therapist carries with yes. every single client with whom they interact. It's not just oh rubbing lotion on the skin and you know have a nice day. There are some serious, you know, medical consequences that could head south. There's even if they're not serious and not medical, like physiological impacts. You know, you get in your Zen moment and you fall down when you get up off the table. I mean, yeah, not more to being a massage therapist and caring for the individual, you know, who's your client than just like I say, rubbing lotion on the skin. So. But not everybody understands that. So it's our job to help educate and make key decision makers make informed decisions. So Absolutely. there's a lot of education that goes on behind the scenes by us and our, our people. Do you notice the bar moving in terms of, you know, as we see the statistics about our aging population, our increasingly sick population, you know, the ability to work with just any person who shows up chances are decent that they're living with some sort of chronic illness or maybe acute thing that they're being treated for. And like, so as a massage therapist, I mean, we, because at HealWell, we focus with seriously ill populations and, and people who have complications where we hear from people all the time. Oh, I don't, I'm not into your CEs because I don't touch sick people. And I'm like, really, how are you managing that? Um, and so, <laughs> you know, when you're thinking about regulating for public safety, like how do you stay sane about what's reasonable so that it's not a barrier to entry to the profession, but also making as possible as as sure as possible that somebody isn't coming in with like poorly treated diabetes, getting a massage from a massage therapist who doesn't understand what you just so beautifully described is is our responsibility every time we touch someone. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the assessment piece, we, you know, we can't possibly test for everything. Sure. Um, but we, you know, pathologies and contraindications and particular populations is on the exam. So is the knowledge or demonstration of the knowledge and, and ability to refer out. In other words, to know what you don't know that we do assess. And that's key to being able to, you know, to work on whomever walks in your door, or whoever you're assigned to in the spa by the employer that, you know, tells you what room to go to on that particular day. Um, but the, the license gives you a license to practice on, on any member of the public. It's not just, oh, well, your license is to only work on, you know, pediatrics, or you can 
only do the you know geriatric population it's a license to work on everybody and so um that you know which again is an enormous burden of responsibility but key in that is knowing one's limitations um and and which is why continuing education is so important because the en person entering the profession has you know less experience than a more seasoned person that's probably encountered more you know a greater breadth of um experiences maybe or maybe not i have a question about how the test ties into uh -huh. entry-level education and how that ties in to the federation so mm -hmm. um we have a wonderful community member named Sarah, and Sarah teaches at entry-level education at a community college, and she does tutoring for students for the MBLEX exam, because a lot of, particularly the ones who attend the tutoring are absolutely terrified, um, and possibly very bad at taking tests. Uh, so for all of the people listening who are baby massage therapists and are going to take that test, um, what would you say that you guys see that people struggle with the most? Because I think students think that it's the anatomy and physiology piece. And I get the impression from Sarah, our community member, that it's really other things that they struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, I don't know. I don't want to make a statement and have it be misinterpreted or with broad brush, brush strokes. I think for the student population, the challenge, the questions they perceive to be the most challenging are the ethics and professional judgment questions because you cannot go to a textbook and you know huzzah there's the answer whereas anatomy it's very you know kind of black and white things to memorize um you know but key to countering that the people with high test anxiety it, it it's really nothing to do with the test you know they they pick up they maybe are on social media too much or like, oh my gosh, the test is hard. And what if I fail, then I can't work. And they get into this kind of psychological self-induced, you know, tizzy. <laughs> I don't know if that's even really a word, but you know, a little storm that they've created for themselves. That's not real. I mean, the emotions that they feel and the, you know, the blood pressure rising is real and the anxiety is real, but the scenario they've painted for themselves is not actual. Um, and, you know, we we have a whole team, a candidate care team here. And, you know, even sometimes I'll have a candidate call on the way to the test center, like call me when you're on your way. And we, we just essentially, you know, talk them off the ledge. Um, and that makes all the difference. But it's like, wherever you are, you're going to take yourself along with you. And you're your best asset. You're going to take all the anatomical parts into that test room with you. You know, you can do your range of motion at the test center. You can breathe. You can get a massage the night before. What would you advise your clients? Um, and, you know, often sometimes the people that, that don't pass the test on the first go around end up being the most, you know, wonderful, amazing therapists because now they have that experiential learning of compassion. So when a client comes to their table and says, I'm so nervous, I have to take a test tomorrow, you know, you can relate and and help calm their nervous system just as you had to do for yourself. So um, yeah, I think, you know, the rumor mill is, is a real distraction um, because at the end of the day, it is an entry level exam where we're 
we're look, we're not trying to trick people. We want more massage therapists who are qualified into the profession so the world can, you know, get more access. But, you know, like wash your hands, change your sheets, don't fall in love with your client and think that's a good thing. You know, <laughs> like that's what we're testing for. Not not this mastery, like I'm a grand, you know, kuba on effleurage or anything. We're we're not even in that realm. That would be for certification. Well, not actually the grand poobah, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Might as well be. I mean, if you're going to be grand, be the poobah, I, I say. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm interested in sort of more of like a thought experiment question because I I, I don't want to skip bog down and like, hmm. if this has been tried, why hasn't it worked or whatever, but sort of, uh, you know, in British Columbia, they have a two-tiered system where consumers are very clear that if they have a health condition or some sort of injury, surgical recovery, they see an RMT. And if they want a relaxation massage or something that's less geared toward a possible pathology, they see someone who's not an RMT. And the levels of training and expectation are very different. Um, And I, I feel like that's what certification tried to do here, but it doesn't seem to have really caught on either with consumers or with like in terms of the rigor of the differences in practice. And do you, do you ever envision it? That's a, that's the question. Not do you envision, cause I don't think America could get itself together to actually have a two tiered system across the country, but do you see a value in consumers being able to say this person is safe with these many conditions and this person is the person that you want to see if you deem yourself ostensibly quote unquote healthy free of disease and want to have a conversation with your nervous system that is calming and supportive mm-hmm. um you know i think in this country that that differentiator would be a physical therapist versus a massage therapist um and there there are some highly qualified and seasoned massage therapists doing you know, some, some advanced work, you know, maybe in the orthopedic realm or something like that, or somebody that works in an oncology unit in a hospital um, with, it's more particular expertise in working with the certain populations rather than um, expertise of whether you want to just chill or, you know, get medical interventions um, as part of a team. So I, you know, I'm not sure. Again, I think it let let's take several steps back, and it all starts with the education system, um, which again is a patchwork. And until that gets some oversight and uniformity of standards, um, I, I think it won't trickle up and trickle out until we get to the origin first. When you talk about shooting for the 625 hours. How much conversation has been had or continues to be had about hours versus competency? Um, we had a therapist who worked with us here at Healwell who moved to up to New York. And so coming from here to New York, had to take an additional hundreds of hours. But her report was that she went to this school and that they understood that she was there to basically meet her requirements so she could get a license in New York. And that there were hours where she would sit and just read a book that she brought but she had to be in the classroom so she could get those hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all, you know, in, in the Hillwell community, we're comparing stories just now about sort of what was your experience like in foundational education and, and CE and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, 
I guess this goes back to a, 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 the job task analysis thing too, is that like, you know, Rebecca actually sent me a little message. She said, you know, are consumers involved in the job task analysis and sort of what's the, the whole picture of like, what, what do I expect from a massage therapist? And um, what are the actual things that you do need to be able to do? Like what happens when you do fall in love with your client? It's not enough to say like, don't do it because it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. and again, entry level versus advanced practice. Like, you know, I know we have to kind of set a, a bar, but it feels like we're in really intimate spaces with really complex organisms and 600 hours doesn't seem like a lot of hours, even if they're really well spent hours, but what's the conversation about this is what these hours have to include. Yes. So the the ELAT, the um, entry level massage education blueprint actually delineates the content of what should be included. Um, I mean, personally, with a background in education, I'm all about the competencies. Um, but the concern was if it was put out like, oh, you need anatomy, somebody could be of the opinion like, oh, one hour of anatomy is sufficient. <laughs> and another person says, no, you need at least 100. So um, the, the hours of 625 came about to kind of do a, an amalgam of both ends of the spectrum of those philosophies to merge content and competencies with, with you know, what's the least number of hours that you would need to teach entry-level anatomy? Now, what's the least number of hours you need to teach, you know, these top 10 pathologies? Um, so that, that's what literally added up to 625. Um, it, it was not reverse engineered or, you know, orchestrated backwards or anything. It, like I say, the Federation actually paid psychometricians to be involved in that ELAP study because we, we knew there were going to be regulatory consequences. And again, the intellectual honesty, the transparency and accountability, integrity were important to us. So, um, so that's why we rely on that in the absence of anything else. Um, because prior to that, we just had the arbitrarily arrived at 500 hours, you know, that about 28, I think, states have adopted. So. And what's the, what, is there official resistance in the remaining states or is it just the typical slow burn of change that, you know, <laughs> the, the domino effect will ultimately take place? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it is, it can, it can take a long time to, to change legislation. Um, and in this climate of deregulation, you know, legislators are not open to, to making what would be perceived to be increased barriers, you know, having to go back to school, pay more tuition. Yeah. Hours. So even some of the 1000 hour states are under pressure to bring it down. Mm, interesting. Yes. And I know some of the the state boards aren't even massage boards, right? Like for, for a long time in Virginia, we were under nursing and I know some are under chiropractic and other. So how does that work in terms of massage sort of getting its due and, and having a voice for itself in places where we're represented by a, another discipline, essentially? Mm -hmm. So uh, again, it, it, yeah, it varies across um, ultimately, the role of a regulatory board or agency, if there is no board, is public protection. So, you know, some professions are seeing that, say, for example, if there's seven people on a state board, 
now the governors are appointing four public members or you know consumer members and only three members of the profession because from our point of view ultimately all board members are public members mm-hmm. some of them just happen to have knowledge and experience of the profession that they're regulating so um but often people think oh we need more massage therapists on the board but they have to be very careful about which hat they're wearing they they can't be protecting the profession they have to look at it from the um, public protection point of view not the well this is good for the profession you know um but it is good to have that expertise and experience so they know in terms of standards of care like no that's 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 not normal that's not okay this person Mm -hmm. needs to be disciplined um and then on the contrary it's like no they they engaged in you know perfectly professional conduct this is not extraordinary or or unusual so it does add value but there are you know there there are agencies like a department of health or professional licensing that does not even have an advisory board of members of the profession so yeah yeah it's a mixed bag engaged. it's definitely a mixed bag but at least the federation brings that whole community together and all their glory <laughs> um you know to try and address the common concerns that that we're all dealing with so and so how does fsmtv or does fsmtv directly, I mean, obviously you're aware of ABMP, AMTA, NCB, COMTA, all of the the alphabet soup of all the, uh, you know, regulatory and and support agencies in the profession, but are there direct, like, do you, I know like the legislative affairs folks sort of work together, but Mm -hmm. are there other ways in which like, does FSMTB talk to NCB about like the line of like these CEs really aren't within our thing. And so maybe they fall over here or like, what are you guys doing so that we can all stay in our lane? Like how, how, or do those conversations happen? Mm-hmm. They, they do, um, you know, and we've made attempts. So for example, you mentioned the certification board um, that, you know, we tried to work together with them, but the licensing boards are trying to stay in our lane. We're looking to renew a license and address um, I'll say knowledge decay um, <laughs> because so many therapists practice in their in their private studio alone sure and have a colleague you know down the hall um, and so you know it's it's important to get out of your zip code <laughs> to to commune with like-minded professionals to not not to be on the cutting edge of whatever new techniques are but but even just basic, like I say, knowledge decay on, you know, what's the latest COVID protocol or sanitation or things like that. Um, definitely a revision on ethics and professional conduct because people who've been, you know, doing this for 10 and 20 years think, oh, you know, I'm good. But but it's always good to refresh one's knowledge and, and have that affirmation, if nothing else, for your clients that you're engaged in your profession. That's what sets a professional apart from a you know, an amateur, if you will. So uh, one of one of the things that sets a professional apart. So um, to come back, though, so, you know, there are some common lines and, and overlap um, where the licensing boards are still, again, looking at the fundamental core competencies. And, and we see certification as the, you know, demonstration of, like, I care enough and I've got advanced skills and here I am to prove it. It's it's a little tricky though because this 
the employers in this profession don't always reward or acknowledge somebody who's taken the extra um, time and effort and dedication, you know, to demonstrate that through an independent body. So, um, you know, it's it's not for everyone and it is voluntary, but it, it's hard when there's it's not really incentivized by portions of the community. Does the Federation have an interest in not like incentivizing yourselves, but in encouraging the incentive, I suppose, which I think is different from regulation or testing or making decisions about education, whether it's continuing or entry. Like there's also one of the conversations we've had in the community lately had to do with sort of big dreams and how anybody was going to pay for them. <laughs> and like, how could we ask therapists to do these things that we wish that they would do or we think is important knowing that they were never going to earn more money. So does the Federation, I guess, have any deep plans about any of those issues? I mean, you know, we we stay in our lane. You know, it's it's not we're we're trying to assure, like I say, consumer recourse and safety and competence to enter the profession. We're we only follow somebody through their career path if they come back for continuing ed when they need to renew their license. And some states require continuing ed and other states do not at all. Um, the, the Federation as an organization does advocate for continuing education. Um, but again, we're looking at revise. I mean, it's I think six hours a year, like not even a full day. Um, or you could parse it out, but it's in the realm of ethics and professional judgment. We're we're not, you know, we our courses are on um, that that we offer are on things like cultural competence and engaging with your client respectfully, um, and then we even break that down: cultural competence, you know, racial bias. There's another one on uh, gender and sex roles. Um, there's a one on human trafficking. It's so that that's our lane. You'll never see us making a course on, you know, fascia or something like that. That's all really well and good, but it's not our lane. So so we do advocate for continuing professional development and ongoing competence, but not not for the you know that's that belongs in the professional associations. Um, not with us. Must be a hard line to draw, I would think. It sometimes is when, you know, you feel like, oh, people are not necessarily stepping up and maybe they're not stepping up because of the resource issue, not because of the lack of desire or honorable intentions. It's just, you know, you, you can't, you can't make, well, the regulatory people can make people do things. You can require certain things to renew a license but um, you know again I think that's where professional judgment comes in it's incumbent upon the professional to to want to enhance their professional expertise but there's no mandate for it so yeah I feel like we come at things backwards uh in the states in, in this way that you know we we've been having a very robust conversation about the 
unsustainability of of careers in massage and the sort of, you know, people get admitted to massage schools thinking that this is a full-time job that will support them and their kids and family and that it's possible, but I think that it definitely connects to temptation to engage in unethical practices and things mm-hmm. that aren't so great for you as the practitioner and working beyond your bounds. And um, there's sort of some real structural challenges in the profession that, you know, when the average income is barely more than $40,000 a year, like, um, you know, I mean, the way the poverty level is set is kind of skewed, but mm-hmm. that's definitely, that's mm-hmm. a rough way to live. Um, right. But that's not the picture that gets painted when you apply to massage school, because of course, schools are clamoring to get folks in the door. And so, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see how how our associations navigate the realities that therapists are presented with that bring these issues to the fore and really find us being like, hmm, how do we, can we do this? Is this, is this just not, we didn't set this up right and now we're trying to fix it or are we trying to fix it? Right. Well, yeah, you know, the livable wage is one thing, but also the conditions that you encounter, um, you know, I mean, we hear uh, usually when massage appears in the media, it's because of some bad actor yeah. that, you know, allegedly, you know, perpetrated or, you know, cross professional boundaries with the client. Um, and, and I've listened to this narrative for, for years now. Um, and so with our last job task analysis, we did a separate study. Um, it, it was on the sexual harassment where the massage therapist was the recipient of the unwanted, you know, touch or experience, not just touch, yeah. experience. And so, um, you know, we'll we'll release that data soon, but it's really troubling, um, you know, what what massage therapists are exposed to, um, and, and and I think to come back to education, not not all schools are equipping their students to come into a profession or even in student clinic, maybe truly able to address and you know really set boundaries. Because the personalities and the empaths that are attracted to this profession and caring, you know, people that want to, to heal others struggle with, with setting firm boundaries and having even just the helpful vocabulary, even if they can't muster up that fierce, no, you know, kind of a, a, a energetics in the in the moment. So I think there's a lot of education that could happen there, but, you know, I would even say that's with society as well, not just. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) um, I mean, this profession is now, I think, 87% 87 identifies female and and a lot of the sexual harassment just really comes down to, in my opinion, gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. And that's not unique to massage therapy. It's just amplified because of the predominant you know, female population who, yeah. who, who practice massage. So that's another whole topic I could. It is. Know, it is. Practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we'll look forward to having lots more meaty conversations about boundaries and ethics and how all that plays into safety and. Yes. You know, and the educational yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Play the offense instead of the defense. Yeah, just be prepared and know that this is the culture that we live in and, Uh you know, that 
there's mm-hmm. that that in itself is very complicated and the idea of you know putting us into bad and good camps is even problematic like how do we really pull back and say like what's the big picture here and how do we navigate in a way that will result in the least possible harm yes mm-hmm. Corey, do you have any burning questions lingering uh, no i was going to say that i think that that particular problem we were just discussing is going to take a lot of time and a lot of thought and it starts with data so thank you to the federation for gathering some of that data for i think the first time um, exactly. i don't think we have any yeah so i look forward to that report i don't really look forward to that report no like yeah. that but right yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's, that it's it'll be coming out but you know even the the infiltration with all the the sex trafficking i mean as part of that whole it, it's all part of the whole equation it's like a systemic problem that massage therapy has to address and we we have to start talking about it instead of you know making it a hush hush topic that just enables it to perpetuate so i know it'll be uncomfortable but we have to start learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable to get any movement and change so in in my personal opinion that's not necessarily a federation statement but well and i think that we would do well for for more of our associations to say this is our statement let's be honest it is time to stop trying to save each other's feelings and worry about the history of who started who like this is where we are and we have serious problems that require us to move toward discomfort to really unravel them so yeah yeah that that takes courage it does but i'm down yeah i believe it Um, well, Deborah, thank you so much for being with us. I hope our listeners have a little bit better sense of at least this part of the landscape of the profession and, uh, that these puzzle pieces will, well, I don't know if they'll go together, but, um, some of them will maybe. (laughs) And, and I don't feel like most massage therapists have any sense really of all the pieces that are moving around in terms of regulation and education and, and how complicated it really is. So thanks for, um, giving us a peek into that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at Healwell. Dot org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.